0: as we continue in our journey verse by verse through the first Thessalonians so first Thessalonians if you haven't already pulled open that we're going to pick back up here in chapter 2 of first Thessalonians if you remember last week if you were with us and you caught it uh, afterwards in chapter 1 it was all about the christian church or the ideal Christian church, because there's a lot of churches out there that declare themselves to be a Christian church, but they're not following the Word of God. So <laughs> it's hard for you to call yourself a Christian church if you're not following the Word of God. So it's certainly, uh, put, uh, is, uh, is, uh Paul and his, his, uh, his uh, associates there uh, start out there, uh, uh, Silas and Timothy, and as they continued to start do a new new work there in Thessalonica, uh, we saw that it wasn't much time within the three weeks. Uh, uh, they were driving them, uh, the the religious leaders of uh, of the other religions in that area were driving them out. May causing them to leave. So imagine you're in the ministry, you go, hey, God's called us to go to this place, we're going to start a church, and three weekends you were able to do work, and then you were driven out. Can you imagine your heart sitting there going, all of these believers and the work that God started in just in three weeks. And, and you can see the, the pain on a heart of a pastor who has to leave because they're forcing him out physically out of the area. And so this is where the letters come from is because of the heart of a pastor on the, those. He started and led them to Christ. And now he wants to know and hearing what's going on. And he's trying to teach them and, and, and encourage them in their continued work and getting a good report that they are staying with Christ. They are focused on Christ. They're not being stopping and walking away and staying at home and hanging out and finding other things to do. No, they're still fellowshipping. They're still seeking after God. They're still wanting to be as a a body of believers gathered together. They weren't just out there having fun now and playing around the countryside because of the weather or the seasons or whatever reason it could justify why they wouldn't come back together together. And here's the pastors communicating to them and pointing out what it is to be and have this ideal Christian church. And if you remember at the end of chapter 1 verse 10... Um, It closes, uh, chapter 1 closes uh, that chapter, this epistle, this letter, closes with a reference to the return of Jesus Christ. And if you will see as we continue at the end of each chapter, Paul closes out with a like closing with the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wanted them to keep their eyes on Jesus and remind them every single time at the end of each of this section of of the letters he's writing to remind them, keep your eyes on Jesus because he's returning and that is true for us today as well as an ideal Christian church we must remind ourselves and that's why we continue to close from the very beginning of the start in the ministry here in the north country soon and very soon our Lord is coming back for you are you ready are you ready are you passionate about what God's called you to do in the ministry The calling based on the gift and the gifts he has given you spiritually and the talents to be able to do that for him. And are you ready to finish the race well? And today in chapter 2 we're going to see uh, uh, an add on to this as the Christian ministry and what it is to be in the Christian ministry and doing what God's called him to do. And we will see because Paul was being has tremendous accusations against him as a pastor of, of being, uh, of, uh, again, fleeing, having to flee. And now these religious leaders coming in behind and trying to, to discourage those that he, Paul was ministering to during that period of time. And trying to get them to, to come follow their way and do their thing like these Jews. Jewish leaders. That, yes, you can be a Christian, but you have to be follow the Jewish rites, and you have to get circumcised, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. And all this heavy trip of yes, Jesus plus you must do these keeping of the law. Again, those are that's false teaching. And so Paul is today in chapter 2 in this part of his letter is going to encourage them and to address the issues that are being accusations are planning, being planted against him. Why? Not because Paul needed to have to justify and to defend himself. He understood if he didn't make it clear what was happening in his life and what God was doing, then it would go against the gospel and the movement of the gospel of what God wanted to do in that community. So he wanted to make sure it was clear what was going on. Because remember, Paul made it very clear that he had just came from Philippi. Why? Because he was in jail. So imagine you're a pastor. You show up and you're teaching the gospel and leading them to Christ and all of a sudden you have to leave unexpectedly within three weeks. And all they can around, the people behind you are saying, oh, you can't trust the man. He was a jailbird, man. He got, just got out of jail in Philippi. How can you trust that man? Trust me, we experienced it in 2011, it wasn't very long. We are sitting in Ramada, and there people, religious leaders of the churches of this community saying, how can you trust a pastor who's just coming from California or New Jersey? Who do they, they're they going to be there. They're only in a hotel. They'll come. They'll take your money. They'll do some things, and they'll leave. They've, we've seen them do it all the time up here in the North Country. We heard it all. And we're like, I can't believe we're living this out because it wasn't the non-believers that were coming against us. It was the religious leaders of the churches of this community. That just blows my mind. But until you read Paul's letters and you go, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. And how many times have the people said to you personally, well, you, were, you used to do this, and now you say you're a Christian? Uh, oh, is that all you do for you're living, and, and now you're trying to, you know, you always have these little subtle little things that people can try to justify. Why? To discount what your message is, and it's nothing about you. It's always about who? About Jesus. That We have no other message. The only message we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's all we want to share with people. Trust me. It's only by the grace of God that any of us are able to even share the fact of what Jesus has done in your life. So same thing right here with Paul. Paul's going to lay this out that he's not a charlatan. He's not a fraud. He's not a fake Coming into this community, then been ousting out. And he wasn't able to come back. And we're going to see why he couldn't come back. And we're going to see what Paul is going to address here through this second chapter here. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. So he says multiple times in the scripture, you know. I know you know, but I'm going to write this to you because I'm going to remind you. You know, brethren, my brothers. This we're talking to people. He, you know, they're not non-believers. He's talking. He's writing this epistle to. He's writing to brothers, right, and sisters. I'm telling you, know, we can, we didn't show up into your town and share the gospel that was in some kind of in vain or some kind of emptiness or of no value or of, or just of just of just fancy words but there's no results or anything of character of what we were saying here it means if paul's sitting here in this whole section right here in chapter two defending his own character and ministry before the thessalonians why because if he didn't do that and land solidly put it in writing So that they could read it and then share it, then you can imagine someone else saying the same false information, fake news, constantly over and over. People start believing it, even though there's no foundation to it. Nothing new under the sun. It's the same tactics that Satan uses yesterday, then, and today. That wasn't because Paul was insecure about his ministry, why he had to do this. It's because so many of his enemies in Thessalonica was coming against him and trying to discredit what God had done through him. And you go back in uh, in the book of Acts chapter 17, verses 5 and 6 and verse 13. Go back and read Acts 17 and you can see more of the details played out that was happening in Thessalonica there who tried to discredit him in his absence who wasn't there and when you're not absent that's when the enemy tries to come in to discredit the leader. It happens. You can always check that out. When you check, If I check out, it's not a matter of time. If there's a wolf amongst us or if there is someone who's trying to discredit or if there's something going on they'll come in when the leader's not there. It's it's just a trick of the enemy. And so you're always having to, Paul, having to see this. He can certainly see this because as he's being absent and he's there, they're just hurling all kinds of things why he had to leave. And he had to quickly leave town because, you know, he was a self-serving coward, as they would put it. He's a self-serving coward. He came in here, he fleeced you, got the money out of you, got what he wanted, and he's off to the next town to try to do it to someone else. And then he waits for a while, and what do they do? They come back around and they try to fleece you again. But he says to these believers, these Thessalonian believers, to them, you know, there's no doubt in your mind that as missionaries, we came into town, we gave everything out, we gave, we didn't take anything from you. But if you look at the wording that. Paul is writing here, he's really not at all accusing anyone within the church body that was started there. He was referring to those outside of the church body that was coming in and trying to take down what God was started in that new work. So Paul's writing in this personal manner here and and, and really kind of, it looks like he's trying to defend himself, but he's really not so much defending him but really, he's defending the sake of the gospel that God was uh, doing and working through that. And, he, and the gospel can be discredited by bringing down the leader who actually pre- presented or brought the gospel message. That's why it's very important as a leader who's sharing the gospel or you personally sharing the gospel that your life reflects what you're sharing or what you're saying to someone in your workplace. You understand that. You can discredit the work that God wants to do through you because you're sitting saying one thing over here, but your actions are over here completely contrary to what you were saying to them. It's all called hypocrisy, and that will completely justify Satan to put in the mind and say, look at that. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan loves to do that regardless. Even if you are living a life of a Christian and, and lined up, you're not perfect. But, you, but there's a difference The fact that you're not perfect but living and and you're humbled and, and, and you're saying I'm not perfect but by God's grace he's working in me versus sitting there acting like you're perfect but then turning around and you're absolutely living and practicing a lifestyle or something in your life that is completely contrary to the word of God. So you have to look at that, and Paul is sitting here making sure it's clean because he says, "I've come to you. We've come to you not in vain." These word "vain" can refer to either the result of the ministry or the character of the ministry that they actually brought. Because it is evident to everyone that Paul's ministry in Thessalonica was a success. It was a success. It was not a failure. It wasn't coming in and just fleecing and, and had no value and then skipping right out and, and we'll come back another time or, or send another one of, my, one of my friends in there to do it because I can't go back. That happens today. Verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So one of the things that he's using to justify, wait a minute, if I'm coming in with vain words, empty words, I'm just looking to fleece and get something out of you. Do you think I would do that in a much conflict, a much pain, and be willing to go to jail and be, be absolutely torn up in, in jail to come in and try to just vainly give you emptiness of, 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 of no value of what I'm saying here? No, I'm not going to do that. He says, you understand that I suffered very much so in the Philippi. And then I was boldly, we were boldly willing for God's sake to come in and teach the same thing here. Knowing we were more likely going to receive the same outcome of people coming against us. So he's reminding these Thessalonians that he suffered in the ministry for them. That through all the facing of the beatings and the conflict and all of the accusations and all this stuff, do you think I'm going to do this for self-interest? You're crazy. Acts 16 verses 23 and 24 records the actual suffering included the public flogging that he received because of that, of sharing just the gospel. Can you imagine? I'm sitting in an inner, inner prison of a Roman prison after being publicly flocked and in and, and chains and racks around his ankles and things, cannot move and being flogged in public and then turns around because he shared the truth of Jesus Christ and then turn around and then go to Thessalonica to sit there and do it again for self-interest? Not, not what's not going to happen. One of the things... One of the things that will break a man's mind is you just put a man under tremendous humiliation and embarrassment and persecution, it will weaken and break a man's mind. But a work of God, but a work of God through Paul had suffered such various difficulties, such physical and mental persecution That it would, does not, and it does not appear at all in the scripture that it affected him. Why? Because God protected his mind. That's why I always encourage the brothers and sisters who go overseas to go to war, especially in the heart of the war. I say, you better be in the word of God. You better be focused on Jesus and continue to focus on Jesus and continue to have a strong prayer life because he will protect your mind and you will not experience the post traumatic stress that many people do. Because God has the ability to what? Protect you. He does. And we've watched over the years in the ministry and how many people have been sent overseas and during the heart of the war and going three or four times and I can see the ones who truly kept their minds on Jesus and continued in the word of God and in prayer and they trusted him with all of their life, every aspect of their life and they came back and they were not phased like others. So again, us too. You don't have to go to war. Just look at what's going on around in our world, the trauma that people can experience emotionally and physically. Set your eyes upon the Lord. Set your mind on the Lord. Let the word of God do a work in your life to protect you so you don't come through and be traumatized to the degree that you need to be. You can be, you can be protected by the Lord. I always, as a side note, as you read the scriptures, you see God sending out his, his, his people for one, one battle after the next battle after next battle after next battle. How do you think they were able to physically deal with the battle after battle after battle? They didn't have tanks. They were talking hand-to-hand combat, <laughs> up and close and personal. There was no weapon that shot a hundred feet away. They were hand-to-hand combat and God protected those people. Again, I believe that God can and does. But he says there in in, in the last part of verse 2 that bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Despite All these accusations that were coming against Paul. He did not only preach the gospel when it was easy or convenient. A person who is called by God to preach the gospel will do it even in persecution. Many will flee when things get, that's called a hireling. When the wolves come and the bears are coming and the attacks are happening, you will flee, you will hide, you will, you will just duck your head down until it seems all clear, and then you'll pop back out like, oh, praise the Lord. No, no, you will go and you will defend the sheep and you'll continue to battle the, the, the enemy that comes against his people. You'll stand with Jesus Continued to preach the gospel and that's what we see Paul is saying here in verse in verse 3 of chapter 2 he says for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness nor was it in deceit but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God who tests our hearts. So we see right up right here, as as he outlines his, we came to exhort, or to give this truth to you. We did not come with an error in our mind, meaning our message was not filled with error. It wasn't filled with anything wrong that we were saying to you. It wasn't fake information. We didn't make up our own doctrine here and make up our own little clever things to sell our books. We didn't do anything like that. Our message was purely based on truth and God's truth alone. We didn't add to the Scripture. We didn't delete from the Scripture. We talked talked to you and told you everything that we could. And again, he only had three weeks. It wasn't an hour once a Sunday that he had. You can tell that they spent probably all three weeks nonstop just to eat and probably was still talking and teaching while they were eating, just not sleep while they were sleeping. That's their mentality. So what Paul is saying here, our message is not from error. Our, 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 our motivation that we came to teach and preach to you and the motivation in the ministry was not of uncleanliness or impurity, but it was clean. It was pure truth. It wasn't anything added or deleted from this. Our message and our motivation was not for self-gain in any focus whatsoever. We didn't have any hidden agendas. Our motivation in the ministry was absolutely pure. And also, he says, Paul's message was in method in the ministry, was not in deceit. There was no trickery. There was no misleading to get some gain in the Christian ministry that he started here. It was as absolute the method there was as just pure teaching the word, teaching the truth. Because you have to remember, in the first century, Paul's world that he's living in right now was filled with competing religions. And many ministers out there with many different slants of different um, religions that were motivated by greed and motivated by personal gain. They did it because it was a job and they could get a livelihood based on this. They could get their name published. They could get a book moving. They could get a speaking engagements. Whatever it was, it was out of based out of greed and out of pure personal gain. And most of these religions were missionary-minded, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy. They were just as eager and going out there seeking to spread the faith that they believed in. They were traveling evangelists. They were traveling preachers. They were doing much of the same things that Paul and Silas and uh, and, um, Timothy was doing. But it was the message that was coming out of their mouth and their attitude or motivation that was coming from their life that makes all the difference. Christian ministry must have the right message, the truth of God. With the right motivation, of no personal gain. And the method that they use must be of, of absolute no deceit, no trickery. That's how it must be in the ministry. You can't come up here and emotionally try to sway you emotionally and, into, and all kinds of trickeries and mood lights and all kinds of whatever it must be to try to get you to pass the basket three times so you'll pay more. Those things should not happen. We don't see it in the scripture whatsoever. And so why would churches, why would any Christian ministry do those things? Why? Because there's deceit. But notice the words that he used there in verse 4. But as we have been approved by God. Those are key words. Approved by God. To be entrusted with what? The gospel. Paul used a word here that was associated with approving or accepting someone as being fit for public service for God. The missionaries Paul, Timothy, Silas was tested by God himself before they went out. There's so many times we see in the ministries where people say, oh, "I feel like I should be in the ministry and I'm going to go start a new work." Well, praise God, how does he confirm that in his word? Have you been tested in the ministry before you being sent out to be in public service for God, representing God? Well, I haven't. Scripture says you should be tested, approved. There should be a, should be a calling in your life and it should be tested. It should make sure that it, it's truly God calling you out there. No, no. I think I've done all the act, I've done all the research and I know all the uh, the how you grow a church and I know all the techniques. I've done my my math and homework and I'm going to go to very this one community that has a certain peg, you know, median uh, median cost of living and I know how to do this and I know there's about three churches there and it's about this size and if I come in here and I just market to those three churches, I'll just take some of the people from that church and create my own little church happens today. You're out there plowing and harvesting, not even plowing, you're out there harvesting from someone else's, another man's work. Scripture says not to do that. But people do that all the time. And not He even emphasized that even so we speak not as pleasing men. So he says we didn't come out to give this truth. We are approved by God to go out to share and trust in the gospel. But we didn't do it to please men. We go out to please God because God has called us to do it. God who tests our hearts. He knows our motivation. He knows the reason why we're going out into the missionary, uh, missionary work and going out into places where there's not been the gospel shared, where the gospel has not been established, and Thessalonica is where God has sent us, and we went out there, and you know our heart and motivation and methodology, and that was to teach you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now don't get me wrong, Paul tried to make it probably as attractive as he could for people to listen, to encourage them and and to uh, help them to get their attention to understand what he's trying to get across and where he went. He didn't just say that you must come to me. He went out into the the community and, and talking to the people. But Paul never compromised the truth of God just to please the ears of the people. Don't talk about sin. We're going to talk about sin. Don't talk about hell. No, we're going to talk about hell. Don't talk about, you know, certain sins, certain lifestyles. No, because God talks about it. Guess what? We're going to talk about it. I've always loved the verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, teaching the whole counsel of God. Why? Because at no point can I sit there and say I'm not going to teach that book because that book would really cause some people not to be feeling real comfortable like. Don't get me wrong. There's times, there's some subjects I'd rather not stand up in front of you to talk about. But I must. Because you need the whole counsel of God. Because someone might be listening that it needs to hear exactly what the scripture says for them to be saved. Do you know what I'm saying? So yes, if you think you're coming to Calvary Chapel and you're going to feel warm and fuzzy and lovely all over, all the time, every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, then let me tell you right now, that's not going to happen. <laughs> let me get that over you now. So just settle in your heart because I'm not the one who's doing it. The Holy Spirit is the one who's taking the word of God and making you very uncomfortable. Why? Because he loves you. And that is what he does, is cuts right straight through all the facade that we may have to get to the heart of what needs to change biblically in your life. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he's really good at it. But it is cutting at times. So he says, the very first thing, we didn't do this to please men. We only do this to please God. Verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. So the second thing that he emphasized to them here, he says, not only are we not man-pleasers here, but we did not use flattering words to somehow to sway you to, to, make, to make the deal with you. To trying to, 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 to make you feel good and puffed up so that you feel all certain emotions so that it gets you to, to keep coming back. So no flattering words, nor a cloak or a hidden agenda for covetousness. There's no cloak, there's no covering that make it, okay, I'm saying one thing, but really behind the scenes, I've got an agenda while you're here. Paul understood that covetousness only has a cloak and is always concealed by this noble sounding words or goals that someone would put out. But he says, I didn't use flattery words to say something to move a person emotionally, to puff them up, to make them feel really loved and good and not really mean it. And I certainly did not going to sit there and say one thing, but really this, this, this self-satisfaction that I get behind the scenes to try to achieve something in the ministry. What happens in ministries at times is people will sit there and say, I can do it better than him. Paul, he just took off. He doesn't know what he's doing. We can do better. Follow me. It's a cloak. Why? Because they want the position of being the leader. So they'll say things to people and they'll flatter them and they'll befriend them and they'll do all kinds of gain a gathering and get another gathering so they can take that gathering and go somewhere else to start a church or to get you to be kicked out the pastor so that they can come into position because they got enough people swayed with their flattering tongues and their cloak mentality. Hidden agenda. Paul says, we didn't do any of that. We're not like someone who's in a business world and says, what can I do to take that person out so I can get their position as vice president? Or as manager or supervisor? I'll discredit them slowly, quietly behind the scenes so that the bosses will think, I'm better How about sports? Happens in the sports world too. Happens everywhere because the heart of people who always want to try to get the position of someone else because they covet the position that they hold. And so Paul says, I didn't do any of that. Didn't do it at all. I started to work fresh right from the beginning, doing exactly what God called me to do. I didn't look to take from some other man's work. I didn't try to take over the ministry of that other man's work. I didn't do any of that. I just came in and just loved on you and shared the truth with you. And you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There was no greed and ambition. You understand, greed and ambition is one of the major focuses of people that's just that brings countless corruption into and around a ministry. Because... Greed and ambition of someone always brings pride into a man's life. And pride is a great fall. A great fall. And so you have to be careful of that because those are the two sources that stem for the corruption of the whole ministry. And that's why we must keep that always at bay. Or it'll destroy a ministry. Paul continues here, he says in verse 6, Nor did, and this this is the fourth thing that he says, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul ministered here to these Thessalonians, and he is unconcerned for his personal glory. He didn't sit there and say, "I did all of this for my own glory to get it from you and from others and, and be on the, you know, the top seller l- list and the most like you know, on the Facebook, you go on and on today. But think about it back then. They didn't have any of this multimedia to spread that. They was just purely in that community, and it was all by word of mouth. It's much more to, even, easier today to, to bring glory to yourself. And get it from people. And somehow self gratifications from all this. Paul didn't need fancy lavish introductions as, he, as he's being introduced. He didn't have to wear special garb and whatever. And, and make sure you know, sitting at the proper positions of, around the tables when he get a gathering of people. Do you know who I am? The Apostle Paul. None of that interest him at all. Because he knows that he is a sinner saved by what? Grace. He stayed humble. Now, people will try to lift you up in your positions and there's a proper respect for the position that you're in. But Paul didn't demand as an apostle, demand, as he says there, made demands as apostles of Christ. We should not, as a ministry, as a, as a pastor, should never demand. You're, 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 I am to be a slave, a, a servant for you. I give my life. Paul is saying, I'm willing to go to prison for you. I'm willing to lose everything for you. I'm willing to be beaten for you. That's what Paul is reminding him of the people. My life is not my life anymore. My life is for Christ, and Christ has called me to this good work. That's what Paul is really saying across to them. And so I don't seek glory I don't seek it from anyone, and I don't make any demands. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not self-promoting in my Christian ministry. None of that. Why? Because he understood that he needed to stay humble in the ministry to be able to lead the people. Because if he didn't stay humble, then he would start self-seeking promotion. And that would lead to idolatry. And idolatry would then bring to a point where he starts making unreasonable demands on the people. And they start beating the sheep to get them to do what they need to do. Oh, it's frustrating for many people. Just tell me what to do. No, I'm not telling you what to do. I don't have to tell you what to do. If God's really working in your life, he will show you what to do. I'll be there to encourage you, be right there alongside you. I'll be in the trenches with you. But it has to be a calling from God to ask you to put in your heart and desire to do the work. I'm not going to make you do anything. We get to absolutely, with all joy, get to serve. Get to give. Get to go. Why? Because we get to do that. For the Lord. And we're going to be rewarded in heaven. (laughs) Can you imagine? We're going to be rewarded in heaven for what God's put on our heart. And he equips us and, and, and blesses us to go do the work for him. Still trying to wrap my head around that. we get to give not to take paul says i give i freely give i do not take verse 7 but we were gentle so it's a characteristic of him he's reminding him we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so he describes what they were like to them we weren't coming in and beating people over the head to get them to do ministry To get into, to be able to join the church. We weren't manipulating, we weren't flattering words, we weren't emotionally swaying you with the music or anything else. We were here just sharing the truth and encouraging and loving on you to let you know that Jesus is the only way. But we were like nursing mothers who are first characteristic here caring. We were caring for you. We were loving you. We were caring for you so much like a nursing mother who just cares for her child. And nursing that child because you're a baby Christian. You're a baby and you need to be fed. And we were there caringly just feeding you and feeding you and feeding you until you were able to get strong enough. So we see this first characteristic. We're gentle we're, or we're caring here. In verse 8 so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart. Impart means to give, giving. They were very giving to you, not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because we had become dear to us. So the first one, there were characteristics of them, is we came in as a caring people, loving people. We nourished you. And then we were giving, we imparted to you, we gave you not just what we were willing for you to buy, we freely gave to you freely. There was nothing needed in return. We just kept imparting to you. You needed that? Let me impart to you. You need that? We'll give you that. You need my time? Absolutely. Let's do your time. You need need some resources? Okay, we got some resources there. You need some knowledge? Okay, we'll give you some knowledge. You need to come. I just need to cry. Come sit right here and wail out as long as you want, and I'll cry along with you. Imparting, giving. So they were caring and they were giving in the Christian ministry. Like a nursing mother. Willing to give, affectionately longing. There's an attachment. It was absolutely a relationship built with this, these, these missionaries that Paul and, and Timothy and Silas. There was a relationship. There should always be a relationship within the Christian ministry. A pastor should not be disconnected from the people. You should be able to have just. Spend like a family gathering together like everything else. And it should be like that. Why? Because you need to know what's going on in people's lives to be able to give to them to help them through their their challenges that they're dealing with. But Paul's preaching was not only just the gospel, but they gave out their lives to these people. Verse 9, For you remember, brethren our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preach to you the gospel of God so not only they're caring not only were they giving but they were laboring Paul as we know in the scripture Paul and the people never took anything money from them they actually built tents more than likely because they were tent makers. They worked day and night. So they started early in the morning probably ministering and working. And they worked all the way until late at night until they can't keep going. Because they were trying to make a, have a job to keep their, you know... Food on the table, probably, and keep things going. But the rest of the time was ministering and, and, and working with the people. He never sat there and said, I'm showing up. I demand this kind of a salary. I'm going to make sure I have a certain amount of vacation time. And you're going to give me a car. And you're going to give me this. And you're going to give me a nice office. And I'm going to have a stipend. And i got a retirement going. And you know, all these demands, he, many do. Paul says, no, no, no. You know us. We' labored and toiled, and we were doing it night and day, we never stopped, and we're just for us to be able to preach to you the gospel of God. That was his heart. And he was willing to do the hard work and long hours and little sleep for the sake of the people. Verse 10. We see another characteristic. You are witnessings. You are witnesses. You are witnessing missionaries here. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. They were witnessing. They were witnesses to the changed life of God in their lives. They were bright lights for the people in that community. It says, "Look at what God has done in my life. I am witnessing of the testimony of God's grace." Absolute witnesses to the grace of God of taking a wretched man like Paul and turned him around to be used by God. As a witness of God's favor. It's kind of impressive. That Paul was at a point in his life. Where he could freely appeal to his own life. As an example of God's grace. I hope you're there. If you've been walking in with the Lord. And you've been learning and growing and maturing. You should be able to be a witness for those that are suffering in this community. They need to know that you were not as beautiful looking as you are now. You look good, smell good. You look like and smell like a Christian. But you've got to let people know that you used to be nasty, stinky, and in the, in the miry with the pigs. You do know that. They need to see the fact that God has done a great work in your life. Not because you say it. It's because they're witnessing in your life what he's doing. And let it happen. And Paul was, was willing to do that because he was God did such a work in their life that people could look at their life and say, You're devout. You're just. You're blameless. And your behavior and how you act and where you... Anyone who believed could look at their lives and it didn't matter what what they lacked and looked like at church versus when when you popped in at home at their house and they were just waking up in the morning. Or they're in the business environment. Or you were watching them from a distance because pastors are in a bowl. And it just seems like when you're walking down the mall, everyone knows you and watching you and how you're interacting with people not easy to be in the ministry, but that's what God's called you to do, called me to do, but as a Christian, he's called you to be a witness for him, that was a characteristic of Paul, it needs to be a characteristic of us as well, but Paul was comfortable with being an example He understood what God has done in his life and he was absolutely, solidly planted in his relationship with God that he was willing to be an example for God. He was willing to put himself out there of God's grace and what God can do in a person's life. He was willing to do that. Verse 11, as you know, we see another, another characteristic here. We exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So let me not forget, miss this here. He's, not, he's just like a nursing mother in verse 7. Gentle, caring, loving, giving, willing to give whatever it takes. Then we see in verse 9 that he said, remember brethren, he's like brothers working together. He says, we labored together. I was willing to do the hard work. And like a brothers, they were willing to sit, you know, uh, work like working together with brothers. You're, you're willing to support one another, give to one another, be there for the highs and lows with a brother. It doesn't matter. You, do, you never leave your brother on the battlefield. You never and then he was like a father here in verse 11, where, like a father, he's exhorting, he's, he's giving instructions to his son. "Son, this is what you need to do next." And that's what fathers do. They do call so comfort when the son falls down and has to be picked up because he got hurt really bad, and he has to pick him up. The father will willing to comfort. And and willing to do the hard thing. Like, dad, I don't know what's happening. Can you please look at this? Can you help me? I don't know what's going on. And he was willing to do whatever it takes to bring comfort to that son and charge everyone like you. So he was willing to exhort, he was willing to comfort, he was willing to be like a father, be there for the hard things, good things, bad things, willing to sit there and walk that boy through life and, and through the hard things that the boy is going to have to face. But notice this, the characteristics of Paul and what he's trying to say to them here. He says, like nursing mothers who aren't angry with the demands and cries of their children. Nursing mothers do not get angry at their children who are babies who are demanding and cries because they do not know what they need. Or why they need it. He's like brothers who are working together and supporting and relating to one another to help each other so that people can learn from each other through the life of through life. And he was like a father who was not afraid to speak the truth to his children. He's willing to speak the truth to his children so the children will learn what is right and good. Paul, that's what he's saying. This is is who I am. This is what I've been doing. You, You know these things, as he continues to say to the people there. Verse 13, for this reason. There's a transition. For this reason. Everything he just said. Now, for this reason. We also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, you knew this was in my words. This is not something I wrote up and said, let me develop my own doctrine and my own ways and my own thoughts and opinions. No, no, no. You knew that this was the word of God that was being shared with you. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. So we know that the word of God can change a person's life. Why would any Christian ministry not teach the word of God is absolutely insane to me. Because you're sitting there doing it for some reason, but it's certainly not to transform the lives of the people that are listening. Because there's nothing anyone has in the the man's words or opinions or solutions can change a person's life like the word of God. Paul is saying here, I give thanks without ceasing. I give thanks over and over and over for the word of God that I can teach you. Because it's life transforming. And it's not temporary, it's eternal. It's just not to wet your appetite or tickle your ear. This will transform a man and a woman, regardless of age from the inside out. Do you believe that, my brothers and sisters? Do you really praise God without ceasing for the fact that he's given you the word of God? To give you the hope of a transformed life for eternal life? You should be there. If you've been walking here, you should be there. Because it is. And you can be just like these characteristics a caring, loving person who's a giving person. who labors with love for willing to do whatever God's called him to do, exhorting, encouraging, instructing whoever will be willing to listen. Because God has done such a work in you, you cannot not share it with someone else because that'd be very selfish. And Paul's saying, this is the reason I give thanks to God because I know it effectively, without a question. Another word for effectively means successfully works in those who believe. The word of God doesn't work in someone's life if they don't believe. (laughs) I know, this might hurt, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're thinking... I don't get anything out of the word of God. I don't think it's really transforming in my life. I really don't think there's any big, big value, you know? Check if you really believe. You need to, you need to examine yourself. Because once you become a believer and you have the spirit of God inside you, you, one of the key indications for me to see in someone's life is the desire for the word of God of God. That is the key indication. Because once you have and you cannot not know and hear and listen and and absorb and digest the word of God, then you're not a child of God. The inward changes and the outward changes and the behaviors that that will come over time, as you what? Mature. You'll mature. We'll see the fruit eventually. That's what God bears in your life. You don't produce it, God produces it. We'll see the love eventually. <laughs> we'll see the long suffering eventually. We'll see the patience eventually. We'll see you. Those things will come. But the desiring for the Word of God is the key number one indication for me, for someone who believes. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the many things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So he says here, brother, I know you've been imitating not just any church, but churches who follow Jesus Christ. And because of that, you also are uh, suffering just from your own countrymen. The people that you shouldn't be persecuting are absolutely persecuting you. Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and your own prophets and having persecuted us and they did not please God and are contrary to all men. Just remember, all this persecution, all these things, does not please God. God will deal with it just keep going, keep moving, keep doing, keep your eyes on me, keep doing what I've asked you to do. Let God deal with the people who are not pleasing him and the things that they say and do. And that's why he says, I want to please God. I'm not here to please men. I'm pleasing God. And just, he's encouraging them. Yes, they're being, people are being killed for their faith and following Jesus Christ. Your own countrymen, your own family is going to come against you. Your own neighbors will come against you. Your people at the work environment will come. He's saying it doesn't matter. You keep going because you are on the right track. They don't please God. In verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measures of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So Paul says here, reveal that what if, you know, these these religious persecutors against the Thessalonian believers there, he says, hey, they're forbidding us to speak the gospel, to, to to speak to those Gentiles, to bring them to a point of salvation in Jesus Christ. Yes, they're going to come against you because they not want you to come against you or they want to come against you because they want to hinder them to doing whats what we're teaching. No, they want them to follow their ways, their religious methodologies. And again, sometimes you get some confused or forget the fact that the Jews at that time who believe that there is a, a Messiah believe there. But they really emphasis is on the traditions and the fact that you follow Jewish traditions of circumcisions and dietary, all these things. They were out there trying to get the Gentiles to follow their way too, you know. You forget, sometimes people say, oh, the Jews never mixed with Gentiles. But those who were sitting there and creating their own little religions, they were they were out there trying to get the Gentiles to add to the, their church. Because that means profitability. That means size of the church. They were willing to do what it took. But now, when you're sitting there saying, no, you don't, Paul's saying, you don't have to be circumcised. No, you do not have to follow those dietary laws. You know you don't have to dress this way. No, you don't just go to church just on one day a certain way and a certain time. Those were going against their traditions, and those are the ones that were causing the most problem with them. But remember when Christians forget the fact that there's God's way and then there's man's way. And when people choose in the ministry to do it man's way because it just part of the culture it's part of what is being said and got to go with the, the, the flow of what the world says and the, and the culture says and just remember when Christians decide to do that it will disgrace and curse themselves or hurt themselves why because persecution for persecution toward others always hurts people you persecute me I'm going to persecute you back you will always get hurt You you come after me, I'm going to have revenge on you. You're always going to get hurt. Paul says, no, no. They're going to forbid us. Just remember, they are going against God. And God will deal with it. Let it go. And move on, keep going with what God's called you to do. Verse 17, but we, brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. So the very first thing, another thing that he's trying to deal with is, they're saying, well, he left. He came in, he was trying to get what he can, he couldn't get it, he took off and flee. No, no, no. Paul's saying, wait a minute, I had to take off. (laughs) I had to leave because they were going to kill me. But it's going to be a short time, he says. Short time, I'm not in your presence. Eventually, I'm going to come back in your presence. But not in heart. You're still in my heart. I still pray for you. I still desire to be with you. And he continued to do that. Verse 18, therefore, we want to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But what? Satan hinders us. Now, how about you? I, I kind of like this. It encourages me sometimes. Because here's Paul the Apostle, the great Paul the Apostle. Even Satan hindered him. So if it's going to hinder him, I shouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to be hindered by Satan coming in and trying to stop the work that God's trying to do. It And in our own little community, our own little ministry here, we have history of right from when we started in 2011 all the way up to what? Just recently, how Satan is hindering us from being able to move forward and do what God's called us to do. It's subtle at times and very, very blatant at other times. But like Paul, he says here, I, yes, they took me away, they forced me out of here, but he, this man had tremendous faith. Not only did Paul have discernment, key word right there, write that down, not only did he have discernment and understood that this was satanic hindrances of doing what God's called him to do. But two, he also, Paul had tremendous faith. Why? Because he says, this is only for a short time. I know my God and he's going to overcome this. Because I know he's put on a desire to come back to minister to you. I know he wants me to do this work in helping you in in your walk with Christ. So it's only going to be a short period of time. I will be back. And we do know, based on the scripture, that sure enough, he was back there. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. He, He returned to Thessalonica and to the other churches in the area. But look at the third thing that we notice here. Paul was committed he was committed to fight back on these roadblocks that were being thrown in front of him by Satan. Roadblock after roadblock. We, oh, we got, we're moving ahead, boom. It stops. We overcome that roadblock. Next step, boom, there's another roadblock. Doesn't it feel like that in your life sometimes? That you see, okay, moving well and the Lord is doing a great work. I, I pray, I'm loving this. And boom, there's another roadblock thrown in to stop you from being able to do what you want to do for God. Expect it. If Satan's doing it against Paul, he's going to do it against you. But like Paul, have faith. Don't go by sight. But go by faith in your walk with him. And continue to be committed to continue to look for an opportunities when doors are opening to go and keep moving, doing what God's called you to do. You cannot give up. Even though Paul couldn't be there in person, look what God has done because he couldn't go in person. Do you see this? Have you, do you see it? I'm going to give you a minute just to think through a minute. Even though he personally couldn't go back to Thessalonica... God and many theologians believe this was one of his first letters. He started writing letters to the churches and look how all of us are blessed by it. What Satan tried to stop, God used it for his glory for those who love him and he Paul loved him and he wrote a letter called 1st and 2nd Thessalonian letters and that letters today minister to you and I to all of God's people. Make the connection. Satan may want to come in and try to divide the church and keep the church from meeting. It forced me to go and go live Facebook what I said I didn't really ever want to do. But now I hear more people from all over and hi to Matthew and his wife and child over in Germany and everyone else who calls and sends messages to me. Now they're able to see messages. And I am calling out to Jackson. You know, it's my grandson. I get to call him out. Jackson, I love you. Because now Jackson and my family, Sarah Marie and Chris, and soon to be Emma, I get to minister to them as well. So what Satan hindered for us not to be able to gather in person, I'm now able to, by God's grace, minister to those he brings, even through Facebook Live. Paul is now writing letters. And we're all blessed because of Satan keeping him from going to Thessalonica. <laughs> our God is a great God. Verse 19. Whew, time. But what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For you are our glory and joy. And we wrap it right here and then we'll go into communion. And uh, and we see here, Paul assures these Thessalonican believers that he could never forget them. Never forget them. I will never forget you. Why? Because it's my glory. It's my joy. How could I ever forget you? Who have I ministered to? You're my glory. You're my joy in my life. even though he could not and had no ability to go visit them, never took away the lack of the love that he had for those people he ministered to and shared the gospel with. Notice here the Thessalonians were Paul's hope. Their spiritual development was what he lived for. As a parent lives to see his children grow and mature and produce and reproduce, he sits there and says, my absolute hope is that you will mature to a point where you will produce the spiritual fruit and then you will turn out and as you're healthy and you're fruitful, you'll go out and reproduce. You'll go share the gospel with other people and lead them to Christ. And I do hope and everyone is at different stages. You might be a brand new believer today. Or you could be someone who's been walking with the Lord and you're very fruitful. And you should be reproducing tremendously and reaching people with the gospel. And if you're not there yet, don't let Satan condemn you. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because eventually you're going to mature and you will produce and you will Reproduce that was Paul's hope and notice here Paul's joy his life was filled with this happiness as he thought of what they used to be like a non-believing gentiles and maybe non-believing jews but mostly gentiles in that area they were not had no hope no direction and understanding of, of the great almighty god And now he has this joy because he knows they know the grace of God. Not just the law. They now know the grace of God. And that brought tremendous joy. And they brought Paul's crown. They themselves were the symbol of God's blessing on his life and ministry. My crown is you. So Paul's saying. My hope, my joy, my crown of anything of worth is because of you, Paul is saying. I got to minister to you. Pour my life into you. And watch you grow and mature in your relationship with God. And that's what he says at the very end of 20. For you are glory. You are our glory and joy. Not only because they were companions in labor of doing God's work. Not just because they were part of the same church. But Paul is saying, when life is all over. When this body ends. And we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming for you and for me. You are the source of my glory and joy. That's how much you mean to me. As a pastor, that's how much you mean to me. Paul's saying, that's how much you, you mean to me. You're my glory and you're my joy. And in Christian ministry, every man who preaches The gospel should be very careful and read this chapter. Very careful before they decide to go into the ministry. Or decide they think they have a calling to minister to others. Because when you read this and examine yourself very carefully on the scriptures of what Paul is saying is the characteristics that God is expecting in one man's life to become a pastor it will do something very clear will happen. The Holy Spirit will bring to light exactly if you line up with the scripture or you don't. And if someone is out there teaching and preaching the gospel at a church and examines himself using this chapter and he realizes he does not line up with what God has revealed, he should just hand that Ministry over to others to minister to the people. But if he is, he better start plowing and leaning and pressing forward and fervently without any reservation to start continuing to move forward into the future of what God's called him to do with that ministry. Amen?